It's wonderful to have uh, Brother Hale's songs to play, to think about, of all things. Before a message, you tell you, you must be born again. And that's what the Bible and preaching and the gospel is all about. You, not, you must have a new nature. And you've got to be born from above. And how would you know that God's having anything to deal with or do with you? Well, the very fact that you're interested, that you're, you're singing these songs, that you, you have the scriptures and you, you're, you think about eternity, you think about your soul, things that normal people pass by day after day, week after week, month after month, don't give it a thought, except maybe for one hour they come to church, the pastor may talk about it or he may talk about something else. But the main thing Paul was interested in, and, and Peter, and whoever you read in the scriptures, they're telling you the necessity of being born again. Uh, I've, I've got this, this little story here about the poor huckster. I would like, I've given it to everybody. I think you've read it, but if I have time, I'm going to read it to you at the uh, end of our session this morning. So let's turn to Psalm 25 again. We've been there a few weeks ago. In reading over that psalm, there were several words that were repeated. And uh, one of those words in Psalm 25 is the word teach. Okay? One, another word that's used three times in this very short psalm is the word wait. So uh, we're going to start reading, I think. Let's read with uh, starting with verse 6. Because I know I preached on the first four or five verses uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we'll read from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Uh, yeah, I think I preached on that because it's so familiar and so beautiful. The very fact that the loving kindness of God is the reason why he draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that being ever of old means that goes back into eternity, which uh, a normal person uh, can't even begin to comprehend. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Yeah, I remember preaching on that too. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Now there's two teachers right there in a row, verse 8 and 9. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. That's strange. You know, most people, you and I included, we, we don't want to talk about how great our sin is. We're going to say, well, it's, it's just bad enough, but it's not, not as bad as somebody else. You know, King David said, hey, my sin is great. And that's because he's got a great God who has a lot of mercy to, to grant mercy to him. Well, anyhow, 
Verse 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distress. Look look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's bow our heads. Father, what a wonderful portion of Scripture. And yet, we don't understand so much of it. And what we do try to explain or try to understand is probably just the a little tiny bit of the truth that's involved. But we know that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us this word, and uh, these things are, some of them are exactly about him and his life. Other things are warnings and blessings to God's people. So this morning as we read and as we talk about our Lord Jesus, we pray that thou will lift him up in our hearts and minds, And we do pray for those who aren't with us this morning. Uh, We just ask you to look in upon all of our people, the ones in our mission places in Tikva and um, even over there in Doosan, Miss Elaine, remember her, and and, um, um, (laughs) when you try to think of a name when you need it, you just can't do it, but anyhow... Uh, There's Cliffy over there to uh, look in upon that family. So wherever our people are listening on CDs or tapes, we ask you to touch their hearts and teach them too. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So I had said earlier that there are several words that that keep getting repeated, even within this small psalm, and this word teach it's it's so very very important that david mentions it four times in this psalm 25 in fact it's in verse 4 verse 8 9 and 12 now what's important is for god to do the teaching and for us to learn now if david felt it so necessary to be taught what about you and me you and me who aren't as familiar with the scriptures as David was and who don't have the marvelous experiences with God personally as David did, yet he keeps saying, teach me. Well, let's look at verse 4 just for a moment. He says, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Well, we do remember in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6.16, that the Lord talks about, look for the old paths. Well, let's look at it. Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 
Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, okay, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest to your souls. Now, I should just leave that alone. That that should be enough for us. But you see, this is another one of the wonderful, simple invitations of God to sinful people. And as nice as that is, when he says, you shall find rest to your souls, do you understand that people, they don't feel they need any rest? They don't need any. Look what the rest said. But but they said, we will not walk therein. And... uh, if you hadn't read it, you wouldn't believe this. But the the heart of the Jewish people at this time is no different from the heart that we have today. You and I have that same disposition. Except God do the moving in our life. If God doesn't interfere into a life, everything is negative against, uh, against God. So uh, the old past... Are the, are the ways you should look for, and that has to do with the way God been dealing with his people all the way through the Old Testament. But there are also some new paths. We have a New Testament. Now, the new path and the old path happens to be the same path, but it's given to us in different words. We'll look at Matthew 7 and verse 14. Matthew 7 and verse 14 Because straight is the gate, that means it's pretty pretty narrow to squeeze into, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, it's, it's because God has opened our understanding, and let us just see a few truths of the Bible. There are religions and there are denominations that want to tell you that Christ died for everybody. If you read the Bible anywhere whatsoever, you cannot ever come up with that conclusion because this part of chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord is doing the teaching and the preaching. And, well, look at verse 13. He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, okay, and broad is the way. You know, whenever I see that, I'm thinking about getting off the ferry in Algiers, walking down and seeing this tremendously wide street called Canal Street in New Orleans. They talk about a broad way. Now, broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Now, the many is going to be compared with the few in the next verse that find the narrow way. Look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate, it's not wide, it's closed. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Uh, That should, should tell you something, that most people are on the broad way. And there's a few folks that find the narrow way. And uh, it's only because God directs them to it. So that's the old path again, the narrow way. But uh, hopefully, uh, rather than the people over there saying, we will not 
find that old path. They, they just didn't want it. So now let's go to the next verse that has to do with the word teach. Because uh, we just read that the Lord is going to teach sinners about the old path. How God saves the sinner. Now in verse 8, let's read that. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. What kind of sinners? How does God know about the sinner? Well, let's turn to Revelation 3 and verse 17. Revelation 3.17 is going to give you a little description of the modern-day church that we have now. And evidently, they had some just like it back then, too. But you and I happen to be able to observe for ourselves the growth of these mega-denominations and mega-churches. And yet the world isn't getting any better. Every time we turn the TV on, the violence seems to get worse. First of all, the people, uh, kids are beating up a couple of other kids, and then the next time you see uh, something just awful, you know, some guy putting his baby in a in a dryer, and then somebody else putting the kid in a microwave, and all kind of stuff that's just horrible. People ever change? Never. But verse 17, Revelation 3, talking about church members. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Boy, and that's the way that you talk to anybody that belongs to a, a church and their parents have belonged to a church. They're not leaving. That you can give them every solid evidence from the scriptures that would warn them and help them and, and encourage them and enlighten them. Uh-uh. Not the least bit interested. Give them something good to read. They're not going to read it. Uh, put out books by the, the hundreds and they don't care. They don't want it. Here's the big thing. Now, God, knowing the heart of a normal person, says that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. That has to be spiritually. The, you could be the best ball player on any professional team, basketball, football, baseball, soccer, track, or you could be the most favorite of the actors on the TV with their big shows or in the movies. It doesn't make any difference. Without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, your condition has just been printed here. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, it's like God is saying, He feels sorry for you. You don't know it. They don't understand, and they don't want to understand. But it's a wonderful thing if you do. If you can find yourself in any one of those categories, you're blessed. If you find you're poor spiritually, hey, ask God to make you rich. Ask him to show you the riches in Christ. You know, a believer in Christ is also called a joint heir with Christ. It says all things were made by him and for him. And in Romans 8, it tells you that we're joint heirs with Christ, that when we get our new bodies, 
when the life that God has planned for believers really starts, it's not now. This is the the, the pre-stage. This is the uh, the introduction to life. This is an invitation to have eternal life. When that life starts, you and I are going to be so well taken care of, so rich to sharing in the in creation. In fact, my mind can't even begin to start to think what it's all about. Joint heirs with Christ, every individual who's a believer. And how many is that going to be? I haven't got any idea. Haven't got a clue. Now, Revelation, well, let's see, the next page in Revelation, I think it's five. Uh, verse nine in chapter five talks about a multitude of people that you can't even number. Let's see, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and uh, made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. You know, reading that over real quickly, people don't get it. Believers will reign on earth one day. We just read it. This is God's word. He cannot lie. Everything in here is absolutely positive and on the on on the right side. Verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousand. What he's saying is you can't multiply that much. Uh, they don't talk about millions and trillions, but it's in there when they talk about thousands upon thousands, multiplied by thousands. And uh, that's an awful lot of people. Every kindred, tongue, nation, color, language. That's God's people. Uh, verse 8 says he's going to teach sinners. Let me get back to our scripture and... In Psalm 25, he'll teach sinners in the way. What kind of sinners? Well, our Lord can tell us himself. It's in Luke 4, the fourth chapter of Luke, verse 18. When our Lord was starting his ministry, he opens the, uh, the book after, well, he's been going to church for 30 years. He's been going every Sabbath day for 30 years. The people know him. He evidently had probably the most beautiful voice that anybody's ever had. And so he was the reader at the church. Here's what he read, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Mm-hmm. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, mind you, he's in a church. He's in a synagogue. It's a church. It's the people living in the town. They're the neighbors who have known each other for years and years and years and years. How many of those neighbors people of the town of Nazareth think that they're poor, that they're broken hearted, that they're a captive, 
that they're blind and that they're bruised, hey, the church is probably filled without a one like that. You know why I say that? Because when he got through, they wanted to kill him. Look at verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereupon the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. Well, it wasn't time for him to die. He was just starting his ministry. This was his opening statement, starting his ministry at Nazareth. And they want to kill him already. Uh, I just think that's, that's interesting because he came to save sinners, those who were poor in spirit, brokenhearted because they see they're sinners and the wrath of God is hanging on them. They've been a captive of Satan. They've been blind to spiritual things. And, uh, of course, being in the world, you get bruised. You get bruised by Satan and all kinds of things while you're in his playground. And people love it. People love their captivity. They love their sin. And that just happens to be uh, part of uh, humanity. When a person is born into the world, Are they, by nature, lovers of God? I have never seen a child who was born, brought up as a baby, develop any type of worshipful worshipful mood. They're in the world, brought up in the world, and it's things in the world that attract them, that they want that they enjoy. And uh, as a child grows up, their awareness of God is still isn't there. Yet it should be. It's because of the nature they're born with. You cannot help a child to change their nature. And we we, we get a kick out of it. We love to see little ones grow up We laugh at their rebellion. We laugh at their little tricks that show their their natures, uh, even to great-grandchildren. And they're great. They're they're wonderful. They make you laugh. But you can see it in them. I mean, you can see it in them. Say no. Say, don't touch that. And they're going to touch it. Don't do this. And they're going to do it. And then when you're trying to teach them something right, do this. Huh. Are you kidding? They're not going to do it. And you and I have seen that. That's because we have a fallen nature and that happens to be our nature, period. Now, man wasn't created like that. Adam had a beautiful nature at creation. He walked and he talked with God. He did everything perfectly well. Till God gave him a mate. He takes the gift that God gave him and makes it supreme in his life that he would rather have his mate than to obey God. That's kind of interesting thought there. Adam didn't sin by being confused or being fooled. 
He knew better. The Bible tells you that. Adam sinned because he chose Eve first. So that part of our fallen nature has drifted down for 6,000 years. Men have a sensual nature. They love sensual things. They love their mates. They love the opposite sex. And there's where it all started, back with Adam. And when he fell, the spirit left him. He was left with a fallen nature. God has to put him out of the garden. God has to set him to work, but God also gave him a wonderful promise called the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent even though the seed of the serpent was going to bruise his heel. Those things nobody understood until the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ where he did die, Satan thinking he won the victory, but in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood shedding, your sin debt and mine was paid because it was the blood of God. See, that's what's mysterious about the Bible. How could one person, how could one person be the substitute for so many? It's because he was God. He's infinite. This is God in the flesh becoming one of us specifically to pay our sin debt because our nature wouldn't allow us to have any kind of righteousness no matter how much good we do or how much good we could have done still sinners grew up as kids had no knowledge or care about God maybe for most of our life I know uh, all my life up through my 20s I didn't know anything about God except a little bit you heard about from the Bible or read. But it wasn't personal. No, there's a lot of people so much worse than we are. What a great God we have, huh? Well, let's see. Let's go to verse 9. Once again, the word teach is in this verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment and the meek... Will he teach in his ways? Well, you see, sinners will be meek, and it's only meek sinners that God's going to teach in. But how do they become meek? By learning about Christ. Look at Matthew 11 and verse 29. Matthew 11 and verse 29. This is a marvelous portion of Scripture because the Lord used this in bringing me to himself. Because I can remember reading this verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I said, that that sounds so wonderful. I want to do that. I want to do that. But take my yoke upon you. I, I don't even know what a yoke is. In fact, I still don't know too much about what a yoke is. I'm learning now how to milk a goat. Uh, I can understand that a little bit better. But take your yoke. I wouldn't know how to get in or get out of a yoke. But he says, learn of me. Okay, why? For I am meek and lowly in heart. So there's no boasterous, there's no proud, there's no uh, smart aleck person 
coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ because he isn't like that. And when you learn about him, you're not going to be either. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You see, a person that needs rest, wants rest, is going to learn about Christ, and they're going to be the one that turns out to be meek. So what did verse 9 say? The meek will he teach his way. Okay. Well, once again, there's a kind of a play on words. Teach his way. What is the way? Well, I think he's going to teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 14, 6. In John 14, 6, our Lord says he is the way. So if God's going to teach you in the way, he's going to teach you about Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, I like that. I love that verse. That's one we should all memorize and know about it because it, it eliminates every religion on the face of the earth. There is no competitive religion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to say about Christianity because Christianity has gathered all kinds of people under its branches and in its branches and uh, so many different types of people call themselves Christians. That's not uh, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father but through Him. And they only are the ones who will ever get to the Father, which means they're the only ones who have eternal life. Eternal life is so wonderful to be thought about because you and I by nature don't deserve it. We are lawbreakers. Uh, you can't break the law and get away with it with God. Now you can break the law and get away with it with people. There's a lot of loopholes and uh, I get a kick out of these lawyers on TV that are uh, defending these criminals and they've got more more reasons and more little angles uh, and bring up things that just make you sick, make you choke, thinking of the excuses they're going to make for lawbreakers. But you can't get away with that with God. He knows about every lawbreaker. He knows about every law you've broken. And I've broken all ten. I might do it every week. It's pathetic. But you see, we're not under the law for its condemnation. We're under God's law to live right. We should try to live the best that the Ten Commandments tell us. But you're not under the punishment of the law because the Lord Jesus Christ accepted our guilt. He took our guilt and our debt and paid that and the Father is perfectly satisfied because that's what he required. He required sinless, spotless blood and a life to go along with it. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ gave him. God is perfectly satisfied with the offering the Lord Jesus Christ made. But the Lord Jesus Christ, being God, can give this righteousness he earned to any person who believes on him. Of course, we know that that's a chosen number, and that's a chosen people, but you and I don't know that. 
Who would have thought that any one of us was to be a chosen person of God? You just would never consider that. Who are we? There's an awful lot of nice people out there that God passes by. He doesn't give them this information from the scriptures that they're hell-deserving, that they're lawbreakers, that God's law can't be broken without being paid for. There's a lot of folks out there, including our loved ones, including relatives, blood relatives, that could care less about God's word and what we're talking about. Well, meek spirits are in high favor with God the Father, for the Father sees them in them the image of his only begotten Son. Our Lord said, Blessed are the meek. But take a look at Psalm 147 and verse 6. Psalm 147 and verse 6. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Only the meek are the ones the Lord deals with for salvation, for eternity. And you see in this Psalm 147, there, there's a mysterious comparison that I find. Now, I don't know anybody else sees this or not, but I'm going to show you what I find in here. If you will read verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. All right. You and I know that our Lord said he came to heal the, the brokenhearted. Uh, so this is going to be a believer. This is one who's going to hear the gospel, going to repent, going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is an expression, he bindeth up their wounds, their their sins are forgiven. They're, uh, they're made a new creature, even though they're still a sinner. But in God's eyes, they're perfectly righteous. They're okay. So that's what that verse is about. God saving a sinner. Now look at the next verse. It's totally out of context, different. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Now, what a change. The stars, God counts. Well, of course he knows the number of the stars. He created them. There's millions of them, so the scientists tell us. Millions of stars, and he calls them all by name. Well, you see, put these two verses together. Is it possible that these who are broken in heart and have their wounds uh, uh, bound up, is the same as the number of the stars. Because we know if he calls stars by number, who all he did is create them, call them into existence by his word. But to save a sinner, he had to come down here to this filthy earth, become one of us, live a life of torment in a way because nobody likes a perfect person around him all the time. Even his own brethren, his own family didn't believe in him until later. But did he, is he going to save as many people as there are stars? Because he calls all of his people by names. 
It says there's a Lamb's book of life with all the names of the people he was going to die for in there. Let me think of one of the scriptures that talks about the Lamb's book. I think it's in Revelation 13 and verse 8. Go to Revelation 13 and look at verse 8 just for a second. Uh, this chapter is about the Antichrist. Uh, he's the one ruling and reigning in this chapter. Okay, but right in the middle of the chapter, verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, meaning the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Well, what a strange verse of Scripture. It would be right here in the, in the middle of an Antichrist doing his thing in the world. You see, everybody that worships the Antichrist, their names are not in this book. But this book says, the book of life of the Lamb, their names are must be in there, the ones that he died for. Slain from the foundation of the world. In other words... God planned our salvation before the world was created. It isn't something that God has learned. is isn't something that uh, as, as people are born into the world and might hear the gospel and say, well, I want to be saved. Uh, hey, God doesn't learn anything new. If anybody even desires to be saved, it's because... God has interfered into your life somehow, some way. Somehow you got to hear the gospel. Somehow you read a tract. Somehow you got a Bible. Begin to think about things. Well, if you look around you, you'll see the Bible perfectly describes people. Uh, that's one of the strange things, that uh, the Bible is self-explanatory. If it tells you something about people, then just read your newspaper or watch your TV or even consider your own heart and life and you see that the Bible is true. Well, let's take a peek. We got a few minutes, I hope, uh, at verse 12 where again the word teach is in there. Verse 12 and, and Psalm 25 says, what, is man, what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Well, you see, this is the same as having a broken heart and having your wounds bound up. It's a person that fears the Lord. Now, what type of fear is this? Is this one of being so fearful that you don't even want to come into his presence? No, it's not like that. It's one like a small child and their daddy or mother. The child loves to be in their presence. The child fears to get out of sorts with the parent. What I'm talking about, say maybe this little kid has done something totally wrong. He doesn't want his parent to find out about it. Don't, everything under the sun, just don't let dad find out because I know I'll get a whipping. That's the type of fear we're talking You love the parent. You love everything, but you are the guilty one. And you don't want your sin to be found out. Well, that's what's a little bit different here, though, about uh, this psalm that David has given us here. Because uh, look at verse 11. He says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. 
for it is great. Why? Why not tell God that, well, my iniquity is, it's just kind of bad. It's not as bad as some other people, but no. Sin is so great because of the wrath of God that's going to punish sin. So, David's saying, mine iniquity is great. You're a great God. There's a great punishment for people who don't come to you. But you can pardon it because you're a great God. This is the God we're talking to you about. This is God in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, became one of us. I like that thought about in a song where it says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And that's a truth to a degree. It's hard to imagine that the Lord had any thoughts about any one of us who are nothing in the world. And yet he's loved each one of us as a believer as much as he has loved Peter, James, John, Matthew, Moses, David, Abraham, Adam, Isaac, Jacob. Those are names familiar to us from the scriptures, but he knows our name just as well. God loves his people. Let me show that with one more scripture and we'll go. John 17. I want to show you that he loves us. You see, we're kind of unlovable. There are certain things about us that are totally unlovable. John 17, verse 23.